Good morning. Good morning. This is the 9 a.m. service. We're usually not in the 9 a.m. service. My own family, we don't wake up early enough for that. And I'm going to be speaking today, but this is a grand experiment. So there'll be several kinks. You guys are like the guinea pig. I just want to say I'm really uh, humbled to have the opportunity to speak with you guys today, all of God's children who he loves, and the rest of you, and, and the rest of you, and, uh, and my, you know, just want to acknowledge my husband uh, for supporting me being here. I'm really glad because today I'm going to talk about a subject that's really close to my heart, and that's uh, social justice. But before we begin, begin I, I know there are actually two pressing questions that are probably weighing on your hearts and minds that I need to address uh, before I even get started. And those are, where's Pastor Jimmy? And who the heck are you? (laughs) So I I realize that um, Pastor Jimmy is actually away uh, with his family. His parents are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. So he's with his uh, family. And so um, that's how I ended up here today, and just I want it's a cautionary tale that uh, you could be randomly selected at any point if you're a member of this congregation <laughs> to test what you know. As far as my personal introduction, as I was preparing, I gave a lot of thought to how I wanted to be introduced, and Tiago uh, said, You know, what's your bio? How do you want to be introduced? And usually, when we're introducing ourselves in professional settings, we have this big obligation to try to project some sort of image of ourselves. We can exaggerate, we can hyperbolize who we are to kind of make us seem like an authority over some kind of subject matter. Um, The good thing about church is that we don't have to project any kind of particular image. I don't have to be anybody special, and I'm not. And there's just this universal... um, unworthiness that's just completely acceptable in church. Um, And there's a lot of liberation coming out that comes out of that acceptance. So um, as far as my introduction, I'm nobody. I'm I'm nobody special. That's that's kind of the point. Um, As far as my my perspective, you know, I am a wife. I'm a mother of two highly entertaining children. Um, I am a budding social entrepreneur, an author, an overzealous volunteer soccer coach, uh, a humanist, um, an environmentalist, an imperfect environmentalist, a bad feminist. I you know, have all of these different things. The point is, I'm just a work in progress, just like everybody else here. Uh, nobody special. Um, so before I you know, jump into my discussion of social justice, A few weeks ago, um, Pastor Jimmy gave a really beautiful message, and he uh, told us that as believers, we want to make sure that we don't have soft skin and a hard heart, that we actually want to have the opposite. You know, we want to be thick-skinned and have a soft heart for the things that matter. And so, um, you know, I just want to open in prayer and just really kind of emphasize on that and call you to um, approach this message with that kind of openness that you have um, soft heart uh, and thick skin. So, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to fellowship today. 
for the chance to come together in the spirit of learning, and we pray that you open our ears to hear your word. And even as we discuss topics that are difficult, we pray that we don't have thin skins and hard hearts, but the opposite. Um, open our hearts so we can become better people today, and I pray that this will be the beginning of ongoing conversations in this church and in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have children of your own, or if you are around children, you realize that children are all really born with their own temperaments and personalities. And um, the best we can do is try to enhance their strengths and negotiate the weaknesses. Uh, we can't really change who they are. Children are who they are. And all of us, too, are who we have always been. And um, same is true of me. When I was in the fourth grade, I learned about social activism and community justice and community organizing in a book. And at the same time that I was reading this book, a controversy erupted in my community about uh, school bonds that the district weren't, wasn't going to release, and people were kind of up in arms, they were engaged and protesting, and there was this coverage on the news every night about people um, advocating on behalf of, you know, the, releasing these school bonds. And so I became motivated to do something. I love school. Um, I had been instilled with a passion for education, and I was just really grieved by the lack of investment in the future, even though I was eight years old. So I decided I was going to organize a protest. And I convinced my classmates that this was a very serious issue. And so hopscotch and jump rope and dodgeball, all that was going to have to wait. Um, and instead, I had all the fourth graders at Caledonia Elementary School spending their recess working on signage for our peaceful protest that I had organized on Friday. I worked across the aisle and formed allies. And when I say across the aisle, that just means that I pulled in the most charismatic boy, because in the fourth grade, political divide is along gender lines. So um, I even worked with Andy Johnson, who was my redheaded arch nemesis. And we called a truce for that week. And what uh, ended up happening is that we worked so hard, we had our peaceful demonstration. Um, you know, I addressed the handball court. I had lined up a couple of friends, anybody who knew anything about school bonds, who had heard anything at home. But we were shut down right in the middle of our, um, our organized event. The teacher's aide shut us down. We were told that, you know, we had lost recess for, for the whole next week. The principal was coming in to talk to us. Like, it was, it was all squash. And the, as soon as we heard the principal was coming in to talk to us, several people just broke into tears, because that was back in the day. So when the principal, when you got in trouble with the principal, that was a sure spanking. So, you know, like, we just had complete meltdown. Um, and so we were in the classroom, and we were waiting for the principal, and Principal Anderson came in, and he addressed the class, and he said, you know, this school bond issue is really something for adults to handle. The adults are going to take care of it. You guys are in trouble because you have disrupted the school day. And uh, in fact, I think I might have to have separate conversations with the ringleaders and maybe even their parents. <sighs> so I just, you know, was considering everything, my friends sniffling, the principal in front of me, and I raised my hand, and I'm certain that all of my classmates and my teacher and the principal himself 
thought that I was raising my hand to apologize because I was a good student. I'd never been in trouble at all, ever before. But instead, I stood up from my desk, I took a deep breath, and I quoted John Morley. You have not converted a man because you've silenced him. The classroom erupted into applause, and that was the moment that I became consciously, actively engaged in social justice. I'm like, cue the James Brown. That was it. That was, that was my moment. Um, since then, my understanding of social justice has uh, improved. And this has been uh, largely because I've matured in my faith. Um, you know, I have an even better understanding of the Christian call to do social justice. The Bible says, learn to do what is right. See that justice is done. Help those who are oppressed. Give orphans their rights and defend widows. Um, you know, ignorance is actually a risk of privilege. So I just feel that we are called to work on understanding how to do what is right. It's an active process. So defining social justice, what is it? Social justice is actually defined as promoting a just society by challenging injustice and valuing diversity. When I read this, what I see is that social justice is not an outcome, it's a process ongoing. Yes, there's always going to be injustice, but that just means we're always going to have room to improve and we should always be engaged in it. Uh, kind of the same way there's always going to be sin, but that doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to try to do better. Social justice, justice is not passive, it's actually active. That's another thing that I gather from this. And finally, there's an implicit struggle and implicit growth in the process of social justice. So these are the three things. Social justice is promoting a just society, challenging injustice, and valuing diversity. And I kind of want to talk through these things. First, promoting a just society. So actually, I know you guys have notes. This is the first um, uh, blank to fill in. Social, the first component of social justice is promoting a just society. So in order to do social justice, you have to be actively working to promote a vision of society that you believe in. But wait, because this is an important question. Do you actually have a vision of society that you believe in? And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not asking what you think society should be like. Um, I'm asking what you believe in, because believing is a higher degree of thinking. What do you believe your family should be like? What do you believe your neighborhood should be like? What do you believe your city or your country should be like? What do you believe the world should be like? If you don't have a firm belief about what you think society should be like, you may actually struggle to find purpose in your life. When you can imagine what you want your family to be like, then you have purpose into bringing that into fruition as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father. 
when you can imagine what you want your community to be like, then you have a purpose in bringing that into fruition. Without this vision, you probably aren't working towards anything enduring. There are two ways um, that we kind of miss the mark on this one. Uh, the first is that we only focus on a vision of ourselves <laughs> that we believe in. But again, that's not really a sustainable goal, working towards ourselves, because that's you know, a goal that ends with us. Secondly, I think that in terms of giving us purpose and what it is that we're doing, each person occupying space on this planet needs to make sure that they're working towards this individual and collective purpose of what society should be like. And this has its roots, I think, in the Bible, too. One of the most quoted verses is John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in fact, this is about a vision for society. This is about, um, you know, God believing that everybody should be an enfranchised member in the kingdom of heaven. And it was a vision that he believed in so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own child towards that outcome. The second component of social justice is challenging injustice. You have to be actively challenging what is wrong in order to be doing social justice. I came up with um, some synonyms for challenge. Objection, protest, demand, confrontation, ultimatum. I came up with some antonyms for challenge. Agree, acceptance, peace. So that we have an idea of you know, how we're supposed to actually approach um, injustice when we see it. And the Bible says, um, none of you should be looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. It says, speak out for those who cannot speak. Defend the rights of all the destitute. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So we're called in the Bible to challenge injustice. But what kinds of things are wrong or unjust? Rape. Rape is wrong. It's wrong when rapists are given more consideration than the victims of the rape. Uh, The Bible says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And he even says, for among them there are those who will creep into households and capture weak women. This is something that's really wrong. Unfortunately, in our society, one in five women and one in 71 men will be raped. What kinds of things are wrong? It's wrong when police officers target and kill innocent black people without cause. The Bible says, have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit the guilty. Killing innocent people is wrong and a systematically increased risk for innocent black people is wrong and it needs to be challenged. To continue this point, 
It's wrong when people kill innocent public servants. The Bible says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among others. In the words of our president, we should be horrified by these vicious, calculated, despicable acts on law enforcement. It's also wrong when children die of disease and starvation, diseases that are preventable in most parts of the world. We're here in our society, we actually waste food and resources. Um, 5.9 million children under the age of five died in 2015. But the Bible says, so it's not the will of my father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is one of the most egregious social injustices that needs to be challenged, in my own opinion. It's wrong when people assume that every Muslim is a terrorist or to disrespect people from other parts of the world. This is something that's especially painful and personal to me. I don't know if it's because my own dad is a, an immigrant, um, but what's interesting is actually during the 9-11, the September 11th attack, I was actually a student in Manhattan. And so um, I lived through that horrific attack that was executed by Islamic extremists. I watched the towers fall. I watched people jump from the 80th floor, from the 70th floor, 60th floor, um, afraid. People were running hundreds of blocks of town, bloodied. It was, it was a nightmare. But what's interesting is that because I had traveled extensively and because I had worked on expanding my worldview and I had friendships with all kinds of people, people of different faiths, I was able to understand immediately that the cruel people who had committed that heinous crime against humanity didn't represent all Muslim or Middle Eastern people. And I understood that this was a radical minority. And so these are important distinctions to make. I think um, one thing that I really despise more than hatred is ignorance. And I think that it's really important that we make sure that we inform ourselves. 94% um, of the terrorist attacks carried out in the United States between 1980 and 2005 were by non-Muslims. Um, so, you know, this is something that's really important for us, especially as Christians, to understand, to have our facts right, so that when we're trying to do good and promote justice in the world, we understand uh, what that means. Something else that's wrong is actually inhumane animal husbandry and agricultural practices. And I teach classes in environmental science and public health, and so this is something that I talk about extensively in terms of sustainability. Um, this is something that we might not put in our minds as a social justice issue, but it is, in fact. I'm a humanist environmentalist, um, but I, I, I'm not a vegetarian, I want to be clear. My vision for a society that I believe in includes ribs. Um, but, but the Bible does say, you know, it's about how it is that we are engaging in these agricultural practices. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beasts but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. The Bible also says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, 
so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Another one, the Bible says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. So it's really important that, you know, even though we sometimes, this kind of falls off the list as a social justice issue, what we see here is that the Bible is saying that these things are interconnected. And when we see mistreatment of different kinds of animals, it's just kind of a, a signaling of other kinds of things that are going wrong in our society. So all of these things are wrongs that you don't necessarily have to be a Christian to understand. But I think for some reason, Christians don't always feel empowered to condemn social injustices. But the Bible tells us to speak up and judge fairly, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. What's interesting is that sometimes as Christians, we feel curiously empowered, though, to condemn individuals. Um, but the Bible says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Uh, for the same way you treat others, you will be judged with the measure that you use. It will be measured on you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What I, I think is an important thing to point out here is the verse that I just gave you was saying, speak up and judge fairly. And here, the Bible is saying, don't judge. So what that in indicates to me is that there's an art to this. There's an art to judgment. And whenever you see that there's a place where there's an art, it deserves more of our attention so that we can apply the best wisdom. And I think that we have to learn the art of condemning sin, what is wrong, um, without judging and condemning the sinner or people that are doing um, that are engaged in wrongs. These are two separate things, and this is something that I hope you know each one of us can try to explore more and grow from. So we definitely need to learn the art, the art of, of judgment. And the, the last component of social justice is valuing diversity. Um, so in order to promote social justice, you have to be actively valuing people who are different than you. There's a study that was done recently that said, you know, for white people, out of every 100 friends that they have, um, 90, on average, 91 of them are white. So only nine out of every 100 friends are not white. For black people, 83 out of every 100 friends are black. Um, so, and, and I think even that same study said that 75% of white people actually don't have um, people of color in their social networks. So, uh, but the Bible says, remember to welcome strangers in your homes. There were some of you who did and welcomed angels without knowing it. If you're white and you don't have any black friends, you're not valuing diversity. If you're rich and you don't have any poor friends, you're not valuing diversity. If you're Christian and you don't have any non-Christian friends, you're not valuing diversity. And when I say friends, I mean friends. Not people that you see at your kids' sporting events once a week. Not people that you don't mind working with. I mean people who you actually care about, who could challenge your opinions on things, who could help you grow, who could change your worldview. So, and um, if you don't have friends that are different than you, then you have to be honest and say, I don't value diversity. At best, I'm ambivalent about diversity. 
In Romans 12, 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. and Never be wise in your own sight. So all of these things are the components of social justice. How will we know when we've arrived at that just society? What are the standards for a just society? When all people share a common humanity and therefore have a right to equitable treatment, support for their human rights, and fair allocation of community resources. Basically, when people aren't discriminated against on any basis. What's interesting about this is that there's an inherent assumption that there is unfair bias in society that all people actually aren't sharing a common humanity, that there's an unfair allocation of resources, that some people's human rights are not being honored, that some people are being discriminated against, and that some people are suffering because of conflict, and some people have advantages or, or unearned privileges. And an important question is, is there a biblical premise for the claim that we live in an unjust world? Is this something that's subjective and a matter of opinion, or does the Bible speak about this? And the fact is the Bible actually breaks down privilege for all of us. Some people are rich while others are poor. Some people are healthy while others are sick. Some people have parents while others are orphans. Some people are oppressed while others are not. Several verses in the Bible speak to this. I, the Lord, command you to do what is right. Protect the person who's being cheated from the one who's cheating him. Do not ill-treat or oppress foreigners, orphans, or widows. Do not kill innocent people in this holy place. Rich people who see our brother or sister in need yet close their hearts against them cannot claim they love God. Whoever has two shirts must give one to the man who has none, and whoever has food must share it. There's an implication here that some people have while other people don't. And our experience in the disparity between the haves or have-nots has increased so much recently. I think two years ago, Oxfam did a study that explained that the wealthiest 85 individuals in the world were controlling as much financial resource as the poorest three and a half billion. The poorest half of the world's population had as much financial resources as the wealthiest 85 people that could fit in here. So, you know, this is actually um, something that deserves our attention. Um, the Bible talks about, um, you know, more about poverty and not taking advantage of people. Don't take advantage of the poor just because you can. Don't take advantage of those who stand helpless in court. The Lord will argue their case for them and threaten the life of anyone who threatens theirs. Share your belongings with the needy uh, fellow Christians and open your home to strangers. Final verse I had here. Do not mistreat foreigners who are living in your land. Treat them as you would an Israelite and love them as you would yourselves. Remember that you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So the Christian perspective is a worldview that actually acknowledges prejudice. It doesn't ignore, it doesn't minimize, it doesn't excuse prejudice. Um, although privilege and bias are inevitable and constant, it's not an excuse to do nothing. Um, and I kind of wanted to end with these things that, you know, I talked about what social justice is, promoting a just society, challenging injustice, valuing diversity. I wanted to ask, do we have questions of Jesus in his life actually doing these things? And in fact, we do. Um, at the outside of his ministry, Jesus stood up in the synagogue at Nazareth and read uh, from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this right here speaks to Jesus right at the beginning, talking about what his vision for society is, what he really wanted the world to be like. He wanted hope for the poor and inspiration for the poor. He wanted people to be free from oppression. He wanted sick people to be healed and made whole. Um, he wanted the oppressed to grow free. This was the entire purpose of his life and his ministry. As far as challenging injustice, um, the verse says, How terrible it will be for those who make unfair laws and for those who write laws that make it hard for the life of people. They're not fair to the poor, and they rob my people of their rights. They allow people to steal from widows and to take from orphans what really belongs to them. Throughout the entire uh, New Testament, you see examples of how Jesus was criticizing and disobeying laws that got in the way of helping people. Most notably, he healed people several times on the Sabbath. That's one example. Um, and since religion and government were intermixed, he was actually challenging the law of the land. It wasn't just a religious thing. It was actually the laws. And something that for some reason we um, don't uh, always realize is that um, Jesus' challenge to the religious and political authorities is what actually led to his crucifixion. It was because he was a disruptor, because he was a revolutionary, because he had this vision of society that he was trying to bring forth. And that's what led eventually to his execution. And then finally, valuing diversity. Um, the gospel depicts Jesus repeatedly reaching out to those at the bottom of the social pyramid. Poor people, women, Samaritans, lepers, children, prostitutes, tax collectors. He um, you know, expanded the traditional meaning of the word neighbor, defining the neighbor as anyone who was in need, including social outcasts. Um, Jesus also called us to love our neighbors, and not only, I'm, I'm sorry, not only our neighbors, but also even our enemies. As a Christian, we have several things that it is that we believe. Christians believe that sin separates men from God, that Jesus was God and man, that Christ died and rose again, that Jesus' death was sufficient to pay the sin debt. These are the beliefs that we have, but being a Christian is not just about what you believe. It's about what you do. Christian is a person who's supposed to demonstrate his life by living the way that Christ lived. And the Bible says that he who abides in him ought to walk just as he walked. Um, so where is it that Christianity and social justice overlap? There are two perspectives. Both perspectives are that there's bias in the world. And as of a result of this bias, we need... Um, advocacy and accommodation for vulnerable populations in the world. And the entire story of Christ's life is about him coming to earth to advocate on our behalf and make accommodation for us in heaven. His entire time spent on earth was promoting justice, challenging injustice, and valuing diversity. If we try to practice Christianity without engaging in social justice, um, a few things might happen. The first is that we may struggle to move beyond loving God to loving others. So, you know, the, the, the Bible says, um, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's in Matthew. 
Um, if this was a granted claim, Jesus wouldn't have given it to us as an explicit instruction. The fact is we don't know our neighbors. We don't have compassion for their experiences. And we don't love our neighbors because you actually have to know someone and accept someone before you love them. <laughs> so um, we're not going to really be able to move our faith from the theory of our faith to action outside of engaging in social justice as Christians. The Bible also says that faith without works is dead. The final thing is if we try to practice our Christianity without engaging in social justice, we're probably going to miss out on a chance to add a lot more purpose and meaning to our lives. The other side of this is um, if we try to engage in social justice outside of our faith-based framework, there are also some risks. Uh, the first is um, uh, subjectivity. So, you know, I, uh, I found this quote by an author whose pen name is Tyler Durden. I don't know who they actually are, but I think that's the name of a character in Fight Club. So, uh, but this quote, usually, um, and so the people engaged in social justice who aren't working from faith-based uh, networks are at risk of pursuing a highly subjective greater good. And he writes, usually this greater good is based on an entirely arbitrary determination rather than an inherent moral code, making it vaporous and easily changeable. A greater good without principles um, is, uh, in, without principles and inherent consciousness or, or natural law can be shifted on a whim to suit any evil imaginable. So to paraphrase and expand on his argument, it's that people outside of faith-based frameworks tend to believe so fervently in the purity of their worldview, and a lot of them aren't open to even the slightest question or concern over their ethos. This unrooted faith is um, unshakable, uh, but there's no real standard to measure yourself against. Um, the second risk is desensitization. So we're witnessing so many human rights violations. Um, we've been witnessing them over a long time period. Um, and even this year, I think, on Facebook, I've heard several people just calling to cancel the rest of 2016. Like, it's just been a difficult year. Just call for a cancel. Um, um, but the fact is that uh, inevitably, it's going to increase our tolerance for injustice because we are kind of constantly barraged with so many sad stories and so many bad things that are happening. But when you have a connection to God, it kind of keeps you from hardening your heart or from becoming desensitized. Um, it keeps your hearts and minds engaged in God's purpose for our lives, and, and, and it protects our humanity. And the final thing is hopelessness, and again, connected to this calling for a quit to 2016. Outside of a faith-based framework, in the face of all of these injustices, you're at risk of feeling desperate, hopeless. Um, but I think what's, what's beautiful about being in a faith-based network is that you don't have that kind of risk necessarily, that you can continue to find encouragement and find strength through your pursuit of, of um, a deeper connection with God and fellowship with other people who are sharing your faith. So I've come a long way since my days at Caledonia Elementary because my faith in God has grown stronger, and I'm more motivated uh, than ever now to help people um, understand the importance of social justice. I'm more committed to having conversations with people from all walks to enhance my perspective on what people are experiencing 
so that I can look out for the interests of others. And I think that I've got a new John Morley quote, that it's not enough to do good, that one must do it in the right way. So above all, I'm committed to understanding my passion for social justice through the lens of my faith. Um, and because this is my church home and you guys are my family and friends, um, I look forward to getting your support to understand more how to do good in the right way. Thanks. And I think I'm going to close this in prayer then. Dear God, thank you so much for this um, opportunity to talk about social justice. And we just pray that this is a message that stays with us, that we can continue to grapple with and grow from, and that we can uh, support one another in the pursuit of doing more and standing up on behalf of those who need advocacy and really seeing this as a part of the exercising of our faith. And we just pray that you be with us all throughout the rest of the day and the rest of the week, and that we have peaceful and positive weeks. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.